Welcome back to Revolutionary Health, the show that focuses on Black gay men's health and wellness. I'm your host here, Michael Ward. As always, make sure you check out our socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at The Counter Narrative. On Twitter, find us at Building Desire. Like, subscribe, comment, follow. Leave, leave your comments and everything. Today is going to be a very heavy topic with everything that's going on right now outside our streets. Uh, but I've got three exciting guests back here on the show. Um, so we can have this very important conversation that's necessary right now for us. So I've got Dennis Hardy joining us. We've got Marvin um, and Dr. Uh, Mal Branch as well. I'm here just to talk about what's going on right now with policing and the protestings that are right outside our door. So I just want to start, of course, before we get into everything, we're checking in to make sure that we're uh, we're safe and we're well. So I'll just start with you, Dennis. How are you and, and where are you at in the world right now? Uh, I'm well. Um... And, you know, other than that, other than being good here in Atlanta, uh, I think I'm on edge, excited, scared, you know, like everybody else. We're taking it one day at a time. Oh, overwhelmed by social media. But other than that, uh, yeah. I can definitely, I can definitely understand. What about you, Marvin? Uh, I am better. Um, so um, at the... Um, onset of this whole um, movement and this whole um, situation, uh, I was very emotional and very impacted. Like, um, there's been times before um, that, you know, it's been easy to scroll past some things or, you know, just kind of like embrace it and process it like quickly. Um, this was very, very different. And so I'm in a better place now, um, much like Dennis, though, um, a, a range of emotions, like excited, like, um, is this revolution? What could come next? Uh, what can come out of this? Is this the apex of something new? Or uh, um, fearful and frustrated, like, okay, well, what's going to happen if we go through this same cycle and nothing is done? Um, but I'm hopeful. So I'm better and hopeful. I think that'll be the best way to describe where I am. Thank you. And last but not least, Dr. David Melbranch, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that illustrious introduction. Um, everything that Dennis and Marvin said, I think if there was a word to encapsulate being uh, skeptical and optimistic at the same time, or some kind of weird hybrid of that, because I, I love seeing all the energy that's going on right now, but I realize that's just what it is right now, is kind of reactionary energy. And I'm wondering how sustainable it's gonna be or what's gonna come out of it. But it's, it's good to see something's happening or something's moving. So I'm okay. Right. right, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you three are well. I'm, I'm all of the above. As you all said, I'm energized um, by seeing people marching in the streets. You know, I'm hopeful for what's to come on the other side of things. But one of the, one of the questions that I have as well is when we have this movement right now, mainly with George Floyd, uh, when we say all, when we say Black Lives Matter um, within this movement, I see a lot of press right now around George Floyd's death um, at the hands of police. Um, but I think a lot of times in my own life, we've seen this before. So I kind of just want to get your opinion as well with why do you think this time, you know, with the death of, of George Floyd, and it almost seems sad for me to ask and, and say this time because we've seen it before, but with George Floyd's death um, here, what do you really feel like might have kicked off kind of the protesting that we're seeing right now. So I'll pass this over to you first, Marvin, since I started with Dennis last time. 
Um, I, I think um, the power of media um, has played a big role in it. And I think that um, the fact that it was captured, um, I'm in Baton Rouge, so I am here. I'm not too far from where Alton Sterling um, was killed four years ago. And I think um, the clarity and the without question of this situation um, is, mo is more impactful. Um, in that we, we see this guy like there with his knee on his neck for like so too long. And so I think um, media played a big part part in this in that, um, and I think also on the, on the um, cuffs of, of COVID that people are kind of just like already on edge, already dealing with life. And so this happens. And so this is a great time for a release. And so, you know, this happened at the right time, but at the wrong time, but yeah, so I think that's that's I think COVID impacted it as well as the visibility of it and the media Im impact of it. Yeah, I agree with Marvin. I, I just think everyone being cooped up with COVID, stuck to their TVs, kind of plugged in a little bit more, and then you know I, I and people just there's all this pent up energy, and I think people became more of a, a bit of a captive audience for it as well. And I think we've seen videos before. I think one thing that makes this a little bit different is that we saw like the length of the whole video and you actually for those of us that watched it and could stomach it you see the point where he died you see the point on video and a lot of times you don't see that with the videos and with a lot of other things like we, we talk about how you know people don't get mobilized around uh cis black women or cis or, or trans uh black women um, and what goes on with the murders that we see. I think one of the differences, not only is, is it about gender, it's about gender identity, and it's about kind of the differential with that, that a lot of people are gonna mobilize more around someone who's a cis heterosexual black man than a trans sister or a cis sister. So they're not gonna do that. But I, I, I can't remember seeing a video of a trans sister being murdered or a cis woman being murdered caught on video the way it's been caught, even with Philandro Castile, which I believe was also in Minneapolis, he died right on camera. And so you see when a lot of these things mobilize, I think the the images of it and out in people's faces, and I'm just, I'm thankful that we have cameras now. Um, and I do think on top of what Marvin said about COVID-19, I think it also built on Ahmaud Arbery and that uh, that the dog walking sister, the, the white woman, Amy Cooper, and how that got filmed. I think all of that had a trajectory leading to this, and then it just kind of exploded. And I'll hold space, too, for Breonna Taylor um, as well, too, to, to definitely highlight her, because I haven't seen much media coverage on that as well. Uh, but definitely thankful, thankful both for those responses. Dennis, did, did you want to input anything as well? Yeah, I think, I think they said everything I wanted to say. Um, I think the reason why we're seeing this is, you know, one, anytime there's shifts in, uh, in our media outlets um, over the century, you see new movements uh, emerge. Um, I think it's also a built up of the fact that we're going through a pandemic and that, you know, one, and I believe it's 2,000 Black people are dying. So you already have mass Black death. I think it's also, I think it's also the fact that you have mass unemployment. Um, so those disciplinary devices that usually hold us in place aren't there. Um, so I think it's all that, you know, you're, you're at home, you're unemployed, you're seeing what's happening in the world, and then this happens, and it's like, you know, and, and then you see that, that, that visual of somebody, like, dying the point of, of death. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think, that's, I think that's everything. Yeah, and, and I just also, too, Michael, along with Brianna, just hold space for Iyana Dior. 
um, who's mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the black trans sister uh, in Minneapolis also, um, who's brutally attacked by 30 cisgender heterosexual men and women, um, mm-hmm. and also um, Terry McDade, um, our yeah. trans brother. So just holding space for them. So, you know, yeah. and no, Iyana was not killed, but like the, just imagine the trauma um, that she's incurred um, from that attack. And so just holding spaces for our brothers and sisters as well, who lives also matter. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you for speaking their names because like I say, they don't receive that media attention. So I, I just kind of want to uh, just respond to that with another question for you, Marvin. Why do you think right now when we have this movement of Black Lives Matter that so many so many companies, right, so many corporations, so many jobs now are releasing these statements of solidarity that Black Lives Matter um, to donate, you know, millions. Some of these companies are donating millions of dollars. Why Why did it take this to happen now for them to, to stand up and show this solidarity? How do you feel about that? I think it took this to happen. And before this, I think it took COVID to happen. So we're in the midst of a pandemic and then a racial uprise. And I think that there is no choice. Like, like they don't have an option. Like, it's mm-hmm. like at this moment, like you either do or die. Um, just like, you know, the commissioner from like the NFL, like all of a sudden we made a mistake. Okay, so how are we gonna go back over all of these years? Like, how are we gonna, you know, how are we gonna get retribution to Ka- Kaepernick? Like, mm-hmm. what are we gonna do here? So I think we're at a place and a time where you don't, it's it's opportunity, but it's it's an, it's not it's not it's not optional. Like it's you you gotta ante up, and so I think that we're at a place in a time where, um, as Dennis started off this, we talked about being frustrated and excited. We're at a place where you know we're at a pivotal moment as community of African American and Black people and culture. We're at a pivotal moment. Like we can either overtake and rise or we can miss this moment. And I think part of not missing the moment is making sure that all Black Lives Matter um, and us coming together in a concerted effort. Because, if, you know, we, we look at the truth of the matter is, you know, we talk about people in fashion industry and people who are part of these organizations and companies and um, the whole diversity thing that's going on. So I think this is a good opportunity for them but for us as a community, like it's not an option. Like you have to say something and you gotta do something. And do you think they realize as well too, I don't mean to cut you off, um, David, but I'll, I'll um, pose this question to you as well in your response. But do you think now that they realize that black people are integral to this country in so many different ways in music and sports and fashion, you know, my, my feeling is that they love to be us. So at this point, you know, maybe they have to release these statements. And I'm sorry, you can go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I think that's a great question because I would just, I would counter it with saying that I I don't think it's about that they're recognizing our worth at this point. I think it's about one thing, uh, which is basically money and capitalism. And so the bedrocks of American society are white supremacy and capitalism, and the two intertwine and kind of keep everyone else oppressed. And so you know, when you think about it, COVID-19 was disastrous economically for a lot of these big companies. So you have a pandemic on a pandemic. And one of my um, one of my favorite people in the world, I call her my wonder twin. Her name is Kim Manning. She goes by the Twitter handle at Grady Doc. She's a brilliant physician, mother, Delta writer. She's amazing. And she wrote this piece about grief and crisis together. And as a Black 
a female physician, kind of what she has been going through with dealing on this. And she coined a phrase, which I thought was wonderful. She called it, because in medicine, we call, like when someone comes in with heart failure, they already have heart failure. But when they're admitted to the hospital, you call it acute on chronic failure. And so she called it acute on chronic racism, which I absolutely thought captured it entirely because it's been there the whole time. The condition is always there, but there's almost like an acute outbreak of it or acute exacerbation of it. And so what we're seeing now is kind of this exacerbation on top of the economic losses from COVID-19. And what I think a lot of these companies, what a lot of these capitalistic corporate entities are realizing is that we don't want to be on the wrong side and we're about to lose some money. And so we need to make a statement because for um, Roger Goodell to get up there and say the bullshit that he did, and I heard people talking about it and saying stuff like, oh, well, it's good. I mean, this is progress. I said, no, sweetie, this is capitalism. He just wants to be on the right side. And if you notice in his statement, he never once apologized to Colin Kaepernick and the way they blackballed him and kept him out of the NFL for the past four or five years at the prime of his career. I don't give a fuck if they, they hire him right now. The prime moment of his career is over right now. He can do other things. Anything else is going to be symbolic at this point. So to me, a lot of these organizations that are saying this stuff is great, but you should have been doing this stuff before. I've even heard medical institutions and societies put out statements about, against structural racism. And I was like, yeah, that's really, really great. And I actually wrote a piece in Stat News about this because it's great that they're doing white coats for black lives and they're standing in solidarity and they're putting their fists up. And you see all these people but some of these medical healthcare workers are the same ones that will withhold pain medications from black people, take the most conservative treatment for black people, not giving a COVID-19 test for black people or not admitting them to the hospital and then sending them home to die. And they'll do that same thing. And then they'll be like, oh, my God, Brianna Taylor was shot. Oh, my God, Albert Aubrey was was shot dead. And oh, my God, all this stuff happening. Not realizing that their brand of racism kills the same way. It's just a more drawn out painful and insidious way that they enact it. And so it's kind of one of those things where I, the statements are great, but I need you to do more. I need you to do a lot more because short term, you're looking out for your money and you're looking out for your reputation and your image, which equates to money. But I need you to do more than that. And so that's why I'm saying like the, the optimism, but then the skepticism, because I think only the upcoming weeks and months are going to tell us whether this pans out into something true, like a true revolution, like we're calling it right now. Yeah, definitely, Dennis. Uh, yeah, I completely agree um, with what David said. Um, I think there are times when we want to confuse performance with like um, with with revolution and and all that. And I think David touched on this at the beginning. Um, a lot of this may be reaction, um, and I see some people try to uh, try to label it as like revolution. I don't think it's revolution. I think we underestimate the state. Its ability to realign itself to to um, to 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 um, you know recognize recognize it has to take shifts at the same time you know um, so you don't Revolution. We have to start. We have to start thinking about our our reliance on the state to make these adjustments for us, and to recognize the state as perpetually um, creating violence. And I think, as somebody who 
in, in my field, so we use Foucault a lot. I think about um, society must be in the way in which these racisms have to be deployed for population management. And that, and so if, if we think about that at an American level, there's always going to be level of racism. And so we have to we have to think about new structures, new superstructures, and how and how we and how we deal with that. If and what that looks like, right? Because even because you can say like, oh, we have to get rid of state, but you can't get rid of state when you have people dying with HIV. Like, how do you manage that? So we need to at this moment we need to be thinking creatively, not thinking that Amazon is going to have the solution, Foot Locker isn't going to have the solution. But what what would it look like to truly um, embody and live in and live in like free space and and community? So. Yeah, and I thank you all for that response. And I love, too, the energy that we have with these celebrities as well that had endorsements or worked for these companies and that they're calling them out with. Uh, Gabrielle Union, she just recently filed suit um, because, you know, she was discriminated against um, yeah. as well with uh, L'Oreal, that they call L'Oreal out saying that you want uh, to represent Black Lives Matter now when just two to three years ago, you know, you fired a Black trans woman. Uh, from that. So I think as well, we have to hold these companies accountable now that are releasing these statements of solidarity. And like you say, hold a little bit of optimism and a little bit of skepticism. But something that you said as well, Dennis, about um, HIV, um, as far as with this movement, while we're protesting, a lot of things we're seeing right now are curfews, we're seeing policing, we're seeing all of these kind of things that are going on in Atlanta. We've got an 8 p.m. curfew on weekends, a 9 p.m. You know, mm -hmm. on the weekdays, they stay to keep protesters off the street and keep communities safe. So even with a lot of these protesters that are um, putting their lives on the line is how I feel about it, with COVID-19 still going on, with them policing us, how do you think that this ties into where we are as far as with public health, with issues like COVID-19? And how may this tie into even criminalization of HIV and, and things like that? I'll start, out, I'll start off with you, uh, Dr. Melbourne, um, if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it can go either way, and I've seen examples of either way. Like, I've seen headlines of New York Times articles that have said, you know, public health officials worried that, you know, protesters will spark a second wave of the epidemic. And I was like, were you guys saying that when the white protesters with AK-47s were outside mm -hmm. the Michigan Capitol and the Albany Capitol and all these city capitals? Were you saying that? And then you also have the origin point wrong. Um, it should be, the question should be, will racism, is racism going to cause a second wave? Because let's not get it twisted. It's not the protests that are causing this. That clown that killed George Floyd, he was the one that started this, I mean, and touched the spark that started all this. So if you want to really, you know, say what's fueling a second wave of the COVID-19 epidemic, it's the first pandemic of racism that we've been dealing with for a long period of time, but it just got exacerbated now. And I think, you know, we do, to, to your point of, about the policing, we do live in a police state in this country. And I think we're seeing this more and more, um, especially in the context of the reaction we saw with the pandemic and how anemic uh, the White House was about, you know, the pandemic and getting, you know, um, personal protective equipment to people, getting the testing out in an expedient manner, um, actually recognizing it and saying that the virus is actually a really a real thing instead of calling it a hoax. You can do all these things and you can see how people can drag their feet along that line. And then you see when protesters are actually saying racism is bad, you know, you see how quickly they got the militarized force right. out of within a day or so. I was like, wow, so y'all really do have the money when you right. want to police folk and want, when you want to do these kind of things, um, but you don't have the money with this. I do think it's important. I wanted to say this um, and then, you know, 
I'll shut up. But I, I, I want to say, I think it's important now, as we're calling these companies out on these statements, I think we have to give them viable solutions. And the Infectious Disease Society of America, they're called IDSA, they said this whole statement about structural racism on Twitter, and I responded to them. And I felt it was important to not only say, this is a good start, thank you for this statement, and acknowledge that they made the statement, but then give them some bullet points about what they can do in their field. Because a lot of these corporate agencies can't do stuff about you know, the cops. They can't do stuff about that kind of racism and the militarization of everything in the police state that we're seeing right now. But they can do stuff about the racism and the structural inequalities in their fields. But I think they need us to tell them that and to put it on paper, put it on social media, put it in an email, make sure it's documented so they have a list they can go by. Otherwise, they'll just get away with saying some bullshit like, yeah, we're working behind the scenes and we want to include diversity. And it's like, no, you have to hire more of these people. You have to put out these publications. You have to put more images of black people in this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. You have to you know, withdraw money if you're funding any kind of police states or institutions like that. So we have to give them these suggestions and push these suggestions to them. And that's hopefully how we'll move things forward. But it's, it's kind of one thing where, yes, we can complain about it, but we also have to propose some solutions at the table as well. Right, definitely. And one of the things that you said, too, as far as uh, with thinking of this from a medical perspective, when it comes from how quickly they got PPE out, you know, and that was one of the questions, too, that I asked, where was all of this equipment weeks ago when we needed it? You know, like I, I posed that question on Twitter. It's amazing how quickly they mobilized and got this response out um, to that. I want to bring you in as well, too, Marvin. How do you how do you feel about it? Um, I feel that, uh, back to your question um, about how is this affecting COVID and HIV and all of these things, I think um, it's an example and a highlight and a reminding of systemic racism and oppression at its finest. Um, you know, keeping us safe, really, like, what about keeping us safe, like Dr. Melbranch and everyone else has said, in regards to getting the necessary um, PPE that we need, um, getting the treatment that is needed uh, to for even COVID testing. But now all of a sudden, you you're, you're not trying to keep us safe. What you're trying to do is oppress the movement. And so you're oppressing the movement, and so now you're putting pushing people back into a corner, and it's just not giving any form of release or outlet. Um, so maybe not affecting outrightly um, um, HIV and public health, because we do understand that, you know, if you're a person that takes care of yourself or you are, have an opportunity to take care of yourself or have access to medicines and, and you're in a good place in your health, then you're good. You're just as good as anybody else with COVID. But I think um, with the systemic racism being highlighted and oppression, I think what it does is it shines a light and it brings alignment and parallel to what we've always been dealing with before this this racial uprising, this injustice happened, that this is what is happening in public health and other areas. So if anything, I think it shines a light on, yeah, this is what the what the hell we're dealing with, mm -hmm. you know, in all facets and all forms. I, I just want to jump in real quick. I think I think what you when you were talking when we talk about COVID-19 and we talk about policing, um, we also we have to acknowledge that public health and uh, the carceral state have always have always met, have always been intertwined. And so, as long as you have like a history of disease in this country, you always you always seen the police um, utilize and activated to to manage that. And I think I think since we 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 are in this neoliberal moment, and you've seen the the movement towards like we have to, this idea of like that grew out of like victim rights movements that we've picked this idea of like who's innocent 
and who is, that we, we lean heavily on mass incarceration. And yep. um, that was starting to expand and start and started well around S, around STI policing, around HIV criminalization, and then moving and then moving into COVID nineteen. So we all have to be critical of of when we talk about public health. First, who 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 is imagined as as the public, and who is and who is imagined as as the people who who get to be healthy. And and then once we well, once we recognize that that is a very specific population, then we get to see who who the state decides can die, right? And who can and who can be left by the wayside? Um, and whose lives are worth protecting? Yeah, it's like the priorities. Yeah. That's where the racism comes in. It's like these lives are worth protecting. These lives really aren't. And so right. yeah, that's a that's a great point, Dennis. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think it's a great point. Um, for so I definitely appreciate your time, your thoughts, your opinions. My three brilliant men here. I just want you all to be safe, healthy, um, as well. But before we get out of here, any last thoughts? Uh, where can people find you? What are you looking forward to on the other side of of this movement right now? So I'll start. I'll start back with you, Dennis, and then we can take it around. Oh, good, because I wanted to go first. Um, <laughs> because you know what, my Twitter is safe for work now. <laughs> you can find me. I am Dennis Hardy. I mean, if you want to see porn, you go see it, but it's not that um, Other than that, um, you know, stay safe and, and um, you know, lean, lean in. Lean. Everybody doesn't have to be in the street, but everybody can be doing something. You know, and everybody doesn't have to be on social media all the time, but you could be doing something. Um, and so let's activate all our creativity. Let's, let's all uh, be where we can be. Um, so, yeah, that. Marvin? Uh, yeah, so let me just say like something that Dennis and uh, Dr. Melbourne said right before we came into this um, about like who gets to, who, you know, who gets to get Medicare or whatever. And one of the things that I find that I want to highlight before this is that, you know, this country, they, they don't have a problem with us being Black Americans, but they have a problem with us being Americans. And so as long as we can identify like own your blackness, but don't own your Americanness. And that's what this is all about. So if they can hold us in this thing of black American, then we're less than, and so we don't deserve, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's not okay. Um, but you can find me at livehirenow.com. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter um, under Live Hire Inc. And I'm on Facebook as Marvin Anderson. And thank you guys for having me again. All right. Um, yeah, and ditto with everybody else. It's always an honor to speak. Um, with you, Michael, of course, and then also with Dennis and Marvin. Um, I, you can find me on Facebook, just my name. I'm on Instagram at D-M-A-L-E-B-R, and I'm on Twitter at D-Malbranch. Um, the one thing I will say is that, um, and the one thing that's made me happy and that I want to encourage all of us to do is something that I read. I read Toni Morrison's eulogy for James Baldwin that she wrote and spoke uh, back in 19, it was either late 87 or 88 when he died. And Charles Stevens probably knows this, but I think she, the title of it was Jimmy, You've Crowned Us. And she wrote so eloquently. And if you, if you have a chance to read it, just Google it. Um, and she wrote so eloquently about all the qualities of James Baldwin and how that inspired her to do more writing. And one of the things that I've seen in the midst of COVID-19 and these uh, protests in response to all the racism, the acute on chronic racism, we're seeing right now is that a lot of black voices have been writing more and telling our narratives. And I think the charge that I would put out to all of us out there is to keep writing our stories because I'm a firm believer that if we don't tell our own narratives, someone else is going to tell them for us. 
And that's extremely problematic. So we have to be very vigilant and vocal about telling our stories. And you may be sitting out there thinking, I'm not a good writer. I don't know how to write. I've never written anything before. But if you look at a, a, a format or a website like medium.com, you can create your own article with pictures and everything. Just make sure it's edited, copyrighted, have somebody take a look at it beforehand. But you can write and your voice can be heard as well. So tell our own narratives. We don't want other people telling them for us. And so just be more vocal about who you are and what space you occupy. Definitely. Perfect way to end it. Use your voice and use your voice as well here with us too on Revolutionary Health. So follow us on our lost socials at The Counter Narrative, Facebook and Instagram at Building Desire on Twitter as well. Leave your comments below. Thank you again so much, gentlemen. And for all of you out there watching this video again, as always, be good to yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>